How wonderful it is to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Thank you for being here. As Justin Christ, our everything. And the topic fell upon me of that of the Redeemer. He is our Redeemer. But more importantly, he is the only Redeemer. He is the Redeemer. There is no other. Looking on the internet, I tried to find a definition that I thought would fit the topic and the way I want to present it this morning, and this is what I found. It defined a redeemer as a redeemer is someone entrusted with the securing one's relief from oppression, harm, evil, enslavement, or some other binding obligation. God entrusted his son to secure us or to release us from the devil, from sin, from evil, from the fear of death. Continuing on, it says, A redeemer restores the lost rights and freedoms of another by avenging any wrongs and paying whatever price is required to set that person free, whatever price it took. We're going to talk about that this morning. It was a lot of price. It was costly. But our redeemer paid that price. And by definition, it's whatever it takes to free us. Colossians 1 and 13 says, He, God, having delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom he hath redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. God delivered us out of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his Son, who he loved. And he did it, redeeming us by paying the price, his blood, for the forgiveness of our sins. Christ the Redeemer. Probably my favorite book in the Old Testament is Job, and one of my favorite characters is Job. And Job is known for his patience. He's known for his pleasing of God. But he's also a prophet. And in Job 19 and 23, it says, Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. That they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and a lead forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand at last on the earth and shall, and after my skin is destroyed, and I know that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Joe's been dead probably approaching 3,000 years. And yet he could say, I know that my Redeemer lives. And he said, even though my flesh is gone, I am going to see God in his presence. God came, as Nathan talked about last Sunday, in the presence of a man, Emmanuel, God with us. And we find in Luke, the second chapter, the 25th verse, where it says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem named was Simeon. And this man was a just and devout, waiting on the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he sees what? The Lord's Christ. To see God in the flesh, the Savior of mankind. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do to him, according to the custom of the law, he took, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen what? 
is seeing your salvation. God's promise to man to bring back a Messiah to save us, to sanctify us, to redeem us back to him. This Redeemer was Christ the Lord. Do you remember in Acts, the fourth chapter, there's an account there where Peter and some of the disciples were going up to the temple to pray. And there was a, a crippled man there that was begging for alms. He said, I don't have any money. I'm not going to give you any alms, but what I have you, I'll give you. And through the name of Jesus Christ, he healed the man. Those leaders there wanted to know how he did that. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if this day, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by the builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The name of Dalai Lama and his philosophies will not save us. Mohammed's name will not save us. Joseph Smith's name will not save us. John McCall's name is going to save you. It's only one. There's only one Redeemer. There's only one Christ. There's only one name that we need, that we have to have to be saved. We're going to talk about the cost. You know what our definition says? Pay, pays whatever price is required. And God required a big price to redeem us. In the gospel sermon that Peter gave in Acts, the second chapter, in the 22nd verse, says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to, to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in the midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by a determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. God determined that his son would redeem us. And he determined it, and it was foreknowledge. It was set about already the plan. You have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. The cost God required, the price he required, was the crucifixion and the blood of his son. Hebrews 2 and 9 says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him for whom all things, and by whom all things, in, in bringing many sons, to glory. The scriptures tell us that Jesus was there in the beginning not, and everything was made and nothing was made that wasn't made with him there. And it was fitting that he might taste death for everybody to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. The Son of God was going to suffer the price that was going to be paid. We often use Isaiah the 53rd chapter when we gather around the table in remembrance of our Lord's death. In the third verse it says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And we hid. As it were, our faces from him, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrow. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bru bruised for our iniquity. 
God set this up in the beginning. Christ came and he paid the price. And man looked upon him and said, didn't pay any attention to him. The leaders in the Jewish nation, they thought that, well, God ought to punish him. He was esteemed, him stricken, smitten by God. But no, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for an our iniquity. In the 10th verse there it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when you, God, make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. God required a high price, and it was to be his son. The scriptures tell us in the last week before Jesus was crucified, the disciples and Jesus would go up to the walled city of David where the temple was, and Jesus would teach there, and the people loved him, and the leaders of the Jewish nation hated him. It seems to indicate that every night they would come down and they'd go down this into the valley, the Kidron Valley. Kidron Valley is very long, but in this case it's only about 100 yards across. And go back up the hill of the Mount of Olives. Remember, mountains were really just hills. This picture is taken from the bottom of Mount Olives, looking up at the city of David. They would go up the top of the hill of Mount of Olives, and there was Bethany, about two miles from the temple to Bethany, and that's where Mary... Uh, and Martha and Lazarus lived. Seems that's where they spent the night. And then they would go back the next day and go up into the temple. The night he was betrayed, they were in the city. They celebrated the Passover together. And Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, the memorial of his death to come. I am confident from what the scriptures tell us that the apostles really didn't understand. Not then. After he was risen from the grave, they understood. But then, he wasn't going away from them, surely. It was nightfall. It was dark. They leave the city. They come down the hill. They cross the valley. And they start up Mount Olives. And there at the bottom of Mount Olives is Gethsemane. This is a modern picture of Gethsemane today. Didn't make it very far. That's as far as they got. And he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrow." Sorrowful, excuse me, even to death. Stay here and watch. Jesus knew what was coming. He understood that the sacrifice was going to be made. He understood the pain his body was going to endure. The humility that was going to happen and the painful death that he was going to have to endure. And he was saddened. He didn't want to go to the cross. Nobody wanted to go to the cross. He knew what it was going to take. He was in such grief that God sent, I, I'm sorry, he, in such grief he said this. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed saying, fell on his face. He didn't kneel down. He prostrated himself on the floor, on the rock. Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Think Jesus wanted to go to the cross? He didn't. He was in such agony and pain in the thought of this that the Lord, the Lord God sent an angel to strengthen him and to help booster him up, bolster him up. And what does it say? In being in agony, he prayed more earnest. Our Savior prayed essentially the same prayer three times the scriptures tell us. 
saying, if there's any way, find a different way. But God gave him the answer. There was no other way. The author of The Angels Were Silent has a really strong argument that this is where salvation acts. He says that because when Jesus found out and prayed three times that there was no other way, there was no power in heaven or on earth that was going to keep him from going to the cross. Not because he wanted to, because he, because he was going to obey the Father. He was determined nothing was going to stop him. Look at Matthew, the 26th chapter in the 52nd verse. Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you not think that I can now pray to my Father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus Christ was not without power. He was a free spirit. All he had to do was say, God, I can't do this. It's too much. 12 legions of angels would have showed up. But no, he didn't do that. He was determined to go to the cross. As he told them there, how then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? It's got to be. And I'm going to do it. And I'm determined to do it. Have you ever thought about the conversation that Pilate had with Jesus when he was on trial? In Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, it says that he, was, he went as a lamb. It did not say anything. Went as a lamb to the slaughter. Jesus was not speaking to Pilate. And Pilate said, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? But Jesus answered, you can have no power at all against me unless you have been given you from above. I don't know what tone of voice Jesus used. I don't know how the eye connection between Pilate and Jesus was. But do you think Pilate got angry and said, you don't think I can't crucify you? Centurion, take him and kill him. No. Pilate was afraid. He realized he was standing with someone in great power. It wasn't mocking Pilate. He was saying, you can't do anything unless my father allows you to do it. We know he was afraid. His, his wife said, don't have anything to do with this man. She had a dream. And we know that it scared him because what he said from then on, Pilate sought to release him. Pilate knew he was standing in the presence of of something bigger than he was. Jesus went to the cross, not because he had to, because he, but he was determined to. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming to in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus was obedient to him. Remember in our definition, the Redeemer is one that's entrusted to do whatever it takes, to pay whatever price to redeem someone from their debts. God entrusted his son, Jesus Christ. At least twice he told people that this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He knew that his son would accomplish what needed to be done. Well, as a redeemer, if you pay the price, you should receive the reward, and Jesus did. As we just read, humble himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross, the writer continues, Therefore God also have highly exalted him, and giving him the name which is above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth and, there, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Father was glorified because Jesus obeyed and went to the cross. And he rewarded his son by every tongue. Every tongue. Heaven and in earth and below the earth will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Hebrews 10 and 12 says, But this man, Jesus Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, forever sat down at the right hand of God. From that time waiting until till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are to be sanctified, to be purified, to be brought back to God, to be sanctified. That's you and I. Those that believe in the Son of God. Back in Isaiah 53, in the 11th verse says, And he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities, and therefore I will divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sins of many. God saw the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and was satisfied. The price had been paid and made intercession for the transgressors, you and I. That's what Jesus did. For that reason, we have a reward. Our reward is the freedom that we got. Remember from our definition, release from oppression, harm, evil, enslavement. We're released from the hole of the devil. The devil lost. We are redeemed by the blood of Christ. We are released from the debts that we owe. As we read this morning, and thank you, Riley, Ephesians 1, the 7th verse says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. The 10th verse says that in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Through God's grace, the free gift. It's free to you and I, but it costs his son his life. Hebrews 2 and 14 says, And as much then as the children have partakers, partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy, that is, is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all this lifetime subject to bondage. Our Savior redeemed us from the devil and from the fear of death. He was put on this earth to do that, and he succeeded <coughs> And he paid the price. 1 Peter 1 and 18. Knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things. Like silver and gold. From your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers. But with the precious blood of Christ. As of a lamb without blemish. And without spot. We weren't redeemed by silver and gold. We weren't redeemed as it says here. The aimless conduct received from traditions. The Old Testament. We weren't redeemed by that. No, we were redeemed by the blood of Christ as it flowed from the cross. Revelations 5 and 8 says this. Think of our reward. Now when he had taken the scroll and the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. 
and they sang a new song. I like to think of it as the song of the redeemed as we sang. Saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and person and nation. Everybody, not just the Jew, but everybody and have made us kings and priests to our God. The reward that we have in being redeemed by the Savior. He is the Redeemer. He is our Redeemer. He is the only Redeemer. And He's everything. If it wasn't for Christ, why are we here? He is the all in all. I hope you found something in the lesson to think about in the coming week. It is a custom at this time to offer a song of invitation. An invitation if, if someone would wish to join us in that kingdom and be redeemed, to have our sins forgiven by having them washed away. Or those that might want to have the prayers of the, of the church, we ask you to come as we sing two verses of the song selected. <laughs>